Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to ask you maybe kind of a strange question. And that is, what special songs or events trigger memories for you? Is there a song, for example, that you hear and it suddenly takes you back to a time and a place and you just suddenly are flooded with memories? Is there a smell like fresh baked bread that reminds you of coming back into the house on a cold winter's day? Let me give you a couple of personal examples. Uh, Any of you familiar with the song Candy Man by Sammy Davis Jr.? I cannot hear that song without having these memories walk back to me of the two summers where I managed Holiday Park Swimming Pool in Decatur, Illinois, while I was teaching, and all the memories of teaching classes and cleaning, that all of that stuff comes back. Now, we have recently moved to Branson, and part of that is putting together my man cave in the basement, the lower level, and uh, my wife has finished decorating it for the most part, and on top of a shelf when I look, you will see a piece of art about this big. It is a replica in copper of a water tower. The reason is because the very first church I ever pastored, Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Belvedere, Illinois, I could see the real water tower outside my window, and on it it said, Belvedere, the right place. Well, I love my first church, and I used to always say, I wish I could crawl up to the top of that water tower and paint Emmanuel, the right place. And when I left, they gave me this water tower that actually says, Emmanuel, the right place. And so every time as I sit at my desk and I look up and I see that, I think back to five wonderful years, a place where somebody coming out of the seminary for the first time could be and meeting all kinds of great people and working with all kinds of wonderful people. It brings back memories. Kind of like that old Barbara Streisand song where she says, Memories light the corners of my mind, those misty, watercolored memories of the way we were. We do a lot of remembering. Our Old Testament reading today that comes from Deuteronomy uh, is a text about remembering. But more than that, it is an absolutely wonderful example of what scholars term a narrative creed. And a narrative creed is kind of a, it's a particular literary form of a story that got kind of fixed in time, and it played a very important role in the worship of the people in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. Now, a narrative creed is not what you might normally think of as a creed. It's really not like the Apostles' Creed or like the Nicene Creed, which we just spoke, or even that one we trot out once a year, the Athanasian Creed. Uh, Rather, it's a literary form of a story that became fixed over time, and it played a very important role. It's not about intellectual beliefs. It's not a statement of dogma or doctrine. It's telling and remembering God's story and its truth for our lives. I'm sure we could go from me all the way to the back, and every one of us could tell a story of how God has been in our life and what we remember about it. These verses before us tell the story of God's astonishing power and about God's astonishing action on behalf of these people that were being held as captives down in the land of Egypt. 
And when the people heard this narrative story, like Moses recounts it here in Deuteronomy 26, they were to remember what God had done for them. And in this case, they were also given some specific instructions, that when you remember what God has done for you, three things you ought to do. And I want to suggest to you that when you actually remember what God has done for you in your life, there are probably three things you ought to do as well, things that have been commanded since the Old Testament time. And that is to bring the first fruits into God's house, to declare your faith, and then to celebrate with other people, not only the Levites, meaning church people, but also the aliens who reside in your midst. I want to talk about these three things this morning. So let's start with this first action, which is bringing the first fruits to the priest. Now, being God's people always requires that you bring offerings to the best. You don't bring leftovers. If you remember the story of Cain and Abel, Abel brought the very best. Cain brought, I don't know, probably some broken down old sheep or something. Uh, but it was showing your great appreciation for God's amazing generosity. Now, as a pastor for some 30-some years, uh, I have met many people who the very first check they write every week or every month uh, is always for the tithes for their church. In fact, I had a farmer one time who used to make a guess at to what he was going to bring in the income and then go borrow his tithes from the bank and bring it to the church at the beginning of the year and then just pay the bank back. That's kind of a strange way. But see, his gift and our gifts to God... And to his storehouse, that's what Malachi 3.10 calls it, bring your full tithe into my storehouse, the church, is the starting point. And it's a way of remembering, and it's also a, a way of proclaiming God's faithfulness, and it's a way of showing your appreciation to God's generosity. Now, if you stop and think about it, annual stewardship drives, and I don't know whether this church has one or not, but, you know, annual stewardship drives are not something they just thought of back in the 1940s or 50s. It's not just the annual way the church tries to figure out how to get your money, or as some people call it, fleecing the sheep. Uh, in fact, this whole idea of pledging uh, or giving a portion of our income of God harkens back, really, to this very act of bringing your first fruits into God's house. And this repetitive action, you know, of bringing our gifts to God's house, serve as a reminder to people. It just serve as a reminder to us, then and now, that God is still the giver of all good gifts. Every blessing you have comes from the hand of God. It's also a reminder that the gifts and the blessings we have are meant to be shared. That's why we bring them into God's house, so that his ministry can be done not only here, but in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And especially we bring them to help serve those people who perhaps cannot even take care of some of their own needs so that we might be able to build bridges between us and them that Jesus can ultimately cross over. See, Scripture is very consistent about God's requirement to share what we have with those who do not have enough. I remember my first sermon I ever preached. My grandma sat there, and afterwards she told me that you shouldn't talk about money so much. I said, mean like Jesus? <laughs> because Jesus really talked more about money than almost anything else. He talks about giving back to the Father for all the blessings. Here's the second action in this story. It says it's to declare to the priest as you bring your gift one's own story of faith. What is your story of faith? I was raised by my grandparents and a tornado uh, drove them off the farm into the 
big town of Seward, Nebraska. And there I was privileged to go from kindergarten through college and get a Lutheran education. That's part of my story of faith. And my grandparents used to say, thank God for that tornado. Thank God that we escaped it. Thank God that he put us into a position where we could continue to worship him. You've all got stories. It would be really kind of wonderful to kind of go around and listen to everybody's story of faith. Now, wonderfully, when reciting this creed that I read to you before from Deuteronomy, the narrator begins with what I would call I statements. But then he shifts to a we and us. He said, my father was a wandering Aramean. That's kind of the way the creed begins. My father, Jacob, he says, was an alien. He was a stranger. He was a, an immigrant. Uh, Jacob and our people lived in Egypt uh, under the rule of the Pharaoh. And then the creedal narrative suddenly shifts from I. He says the Egyptians treated us harshly. We cried. God heard us. The Lord brought us out of Egypt and brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. And so, he said, I bring all of these gifts from this land back to my God. See, the one declaring his faith here uh, claims that that this story about the deliverance out of Egypt was his story too. You know, Jews still do that today in Passover. They recount the story of the deliverance of Egypt as if they were actually there. That's their story. Here I stand in the promised land, they say, giving God thanks for all God has done for me and in my family's life. See, each time we recite the story of our liberation, and maybe some of you could do that. You could say, man, before I ever came to know Jesus, I was in bondage. I told our adult Bible class this morning that my very first church secretary, or my church secretary at Lord of Life, when I asked what her background was before she became Lutheran, she said, pagan. Wow. Did she have a faith story to tell? And see, when she would tell that story of her liberation or her freedom from bondage, or when you talk about people who have been delivered from the bondage of alcoholism or pornography or anything else, they've got a story, a faith story to tell. And each time we tell that story, and when we tell those stories to our children, it becomes their story as well. That's why we teach the biblical narrative to our children each week, hopefully, in Sunday school. That's why we need to talk about the biblical narrative in our homes and in our churches. See, being a Christ follower, being people who are shaped by the word of God, means that we are storytellers. You know that we are storytellers. All our stories of faith are connected to God's larger biblical narrative. The narrative of his his liberation of his people from the beginning all the way to the end. Have you been telling your story to anybody lately? You shared it with anybody? I was drinking coffee in Hollister this last week, and I heard two ladies talking about the word compassion. And I kind of interrupted them. I said, this doesn't mean much, but compassion in the Greek language is my favorite Greek word. It's splonknisomai. I love that word. This sounds funny. Splonknisomai. It means to have your guts churn. And immediately we connected And we began to tell each other our stories of faith. And I'm encouraged by one who talks about her ministry to single moms. Another one whose ministry with her husband is a ministry to broken families. And I began to tell them of my ministry to the 6,200 inmates at Angola Prison in Angola, Louisiana. We shared our faith story. 
Are you telling your story to anyone? Are you passing it on to future generations? There's a third action here. And after bringing the offering and declaring our faith, telling our faith story by reciting the creed, there's a commandment to have a celebration. Celebration. The community was supposed to end with some sort of a common meal, sharing all that they had brought as offerings to God. They were to put on a party. When was the last time you had a Holy Ghost party? When was the last time you partied down in church? I mean, there were the, 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 the party included, though, a special invitation. Not only was it for the church folks, you were to invite the aliens and the strangers. You were to go out and find other people that weren't part of your group. Now, why is that? Well, remember the narrative creed? He said, you were once aliens yourself. You were oppressed. You were enslaved. You were once no people. Now you're my people. You cried. I heard you. I brought you out. You wandered in the desert. I'm the one who gave you your own land. In other words, folks, don't forget where you came from. We said before that we were poor, miserable sinners. That's where we came from. Look what God has done through the power of the Holy Spirit and his word. Brought us into a new land. Into his family. Never forget that. There's an old parable or a story uh, told about a seacoast village that had a lighthouse. And one day, some strangers were lost in a storm and they were beginning to drown. And so the people in that village took out their small boats and they saved all of those people. And they brought them into their community and showed them great hospitality, grace and mercy and love. And eventually, those strangers became part of that village and enjoyed all the benefits of this brand new land. But not long after that, there was another group of strangers whose boat was beginning to sink. They were lost and they needed saving. But the ones who had been formerly strangers did not want to save the ones who were in need. They didn't want to share, I was almost to say share their pew with somebody who'd never been there before. But they didn't want to share what they'd acquired and have their comfortable lives disrupted. They forgot about the mercy that they had been shown. Friends, we are to extend splunknitzomai. We are to extend compassion to the outsiders because we too are from a long line of outsiders. We're all outsiders in some form or some fashion. All of us have felt at one time or another that we were kind of on the outside looking in. See, our compassion, our generosity, according to the Lord's command, is to be rooted in the memory to be rooted in the remembering of what God has done for our ancestors, for our family, for our future families. See, in the next few moments, we're going to do something that, that really is pretty amazing. We are going to condense time. We're going to condense time. We are going to bridge the gap between Deuteronomy chapter 26 and what we are going to celebrate in the Lord's Supper. See, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're taking our place again in this long line of history of faith. We are reenacting the story by literally bringing the fruit of the harvest, the bread and the wine, and we offer them to God so that these common elements can be blessed. And in this meal, in communion, the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the altar, whatever you want to call it, we reenact this story one more time of Jesus eating around the table with his disciples. In this meal, we reenact the story of early believers 
who took their place also around this table. Some of them telling of their first-hand accounts of finally meeting Jesus, like the Apostle Paul. And in this meal, when we come forward today, we declare the story of our faith in Jesus by praying over these elements. And when we pray, the prayer is to include uh, thanksgiving to God for bringing the people, our people, out of the land of Egypt into a new promised land. I don't know if you understand that. It just means that the past can actually become the present. I mean, that's what our rituals and our creeds are all about. If you wonder why we do what we do in church sometimes, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, what it's doing is it's bringing the reality of God and his kingdom into our lives right here, right now. See, the story of God comes alive when we meet together whether we're in our Bible classes, our small groups, or in our church. See, our rituals, our actions, and, and the words in worship become the means that help us remember our past and to connect ourselves to it. See, by celebrating God's saving love shown in the Exodus out of slavery in Egypt, God's saving love through the liberating grace in Jesus, we bridge the gap between the past and the present. I mean, just think about it, friends. The God who brought the people out of captivity is the same God that we still see in Jesus that delivers us. This God that we see in Jesus is still alive today through the Holy Spirit and the promises that the Holy Spirit will be with us always. This is the same God who each and every day if you talk to him, ask you this question, what is still holding you back? What is keeping you from being liberated and free in Jesus? This is a reminder that God, who set the Israelites free, is invested in li- helping you live a life of freedom today. I want you to have joy. I want you to have abundant joy, he says. See, that's the whole story. The Bible is the story of our liberation. Now, you could kind of boil this entire sermon down just to something very short, and probably some of you wish it would be. But you could just say, hey, the people cry out, God listens, God responds. There's your three-point sermon. Go out and preach that later today. Walk the streets of Branson or Kimberling City and say, hey, people who cry out to God, God hears, and God will deliver. Now, I realize that the authors of the Bible were inspired by, by the Holy Spirit. And in that comes a lot of wisdom through the writers. I think they, many of them knew very well that the stories that they told would shape generations of God's people. The narrative creeds that are in our Bible, and there are many of them, kind of tether us to the saints who've gone on before us and to those saints who, God willing, will come after us. See, the writers knew that those stories would ensure that we, the people of God, would understand ourselves to be the same precious ones whom God delivered with his mighty hand several thousand years ago and who keeps delivering us today through his son Jesus, the Messiah. My prayer is that we always remember, that we always tell God's story and by the power of the Holy Spirit live out its truth in our lives. And now may the peace of God, which passes all of our understanding, Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.